Hello, everyone. My name is Joel McLeod. I'm Ron Montana. And welcome to the Thursday 905 Roundup for the 905er podcast. We've got a couple big things to talk about today. Roland, why don't you start us off with what's happening with Burlington City Council? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's there's been some grumbling going on for a few weeks, and I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast up to now, but it's, it's certainly been rumbling about. Uh, and the ironic thing is that the thing that's going to make us talk about it is the mayor's attempt to pour cold water on this story and to make it go away. And in doing it, she's now made it a huge story that that we're not going to ignore. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which tell, tells its own story, you know. So for those people who don't live in Burlington or, or who don't, follow the news as closely as, as some of us do there was coming out of the the lgbtq issues with the catholic school board burlington discussed expanding and accelerating its program of in, installing a number of rainbow crosswalks so the first rainbow crosswalk went in just a year or two years ago and i believe that the, the mayor in essence came forward with a proposal to put a crosswalk in every ward in the city, plus various other things. There was talk about benches. There was talk about a number of other things. Well, that's fine. There was a vote on that, and three of the three councillors disagreed with the other four. Not so much, they certainly didn't oppose additional rainbow crosswalks. um, Let's clarify what the story was. The the story was that they went to a vote to city about the crosswalks, and then the mayor posted on her Facebook page that the vote had passed four to three. She named the counselors who sided with her in passing the painting, the, the, the sidewalks uh, colors of the pride flag. And it, it, there's a hint to that, that message of these four counselors are pro LGBTQ plus issues. The other three are not. Yeah, and, and it was certainly interpreted that way by the public. I mean, this was this was a, a tweet uh, that was sent out, and people immediately started responding to that tweet, saying, "You know, why is my councillor and, and the the three councillors who voted against the motion were uh, Lisa Kearns from Ward Two, Shauna Stolte from Ward Three, and Paul Sharman from Ward Five, and the implication was that." Certain people read it that way as the implication mm-hmm. that you know these guys are homophobic, basically, right? And are against everything that's happened with the LGBTQ community. Now, I mean, I have to say from from what I know of all three of them, um, and, and you know, I know the three of them to different degrees. I, that's just not my understanding of that, those people, and I, I don't think. Well, it was a very carelessly the most generous interpretation of the tweet is it was very carelessly worded but 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 uh, why would you even tweet that unless you're trying to kind of throw your colleagues under the bus i mean it was a very pointed mm-hmm. comment but it, it was very pointed by who it didn't mention and who it did mention and and it, you know but the ward is not a naive media person she knows exactly those, what she's doing but those three counselors later that day issued their own statement which i thought that doesn't happen in burlington for counselors to issue their own statement yeah. to the press in which they they outlined their reasons why they voted against the motion and it had nothing to do with lgbtq plus rights or issues both of them all three declared their support for it it was about funding 
for the project. It was about how were we going to budget this taxpayer initiative to do it. And basically their, their opposition was the fact that the mayor's proposal would mean dipping into the city's reserve funds as they saw it. And they thought we had a different proposal that might take a little bit longer, but it would basically budget out a different sidewalk each each fiscal year or maybe fiscal quarter. But it basically be, you know, it, we'd be able to budget for the project each year without having to raise taxes or having to dip into the emergency fund, which is meant for crisis and operate, op, not operating costs, but just it, it's a rainy day fund. Yeah, I mean, reserve funds are, so cities in, in Canada, or certainly in Ontario, can't go into debt. So they, they mm-hmm. you know, there are no, no such thing as a deficit in a city. So they have to have reserve funds to cover for unexpected contingencies. Right now, we're in the middle of a big unexpected contingency. And, you know, that, that's when you need those kind of funds. But, you know, obviously, uh, we've done so many episodes on on this issue and how important it is to show solidarity with lgbtq people but at the same time there's also the 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 financial issues on how you find funds within Mm. within the city system Mm -hmm. Uh, as a side issue they installed a a sidewalk two weeks two years ago i I think if i remember rightly the, the the numbers for installing the same crosswalk today was was about 33% more than it was two years ago. And you're like, well, what does that cut? You know? <laughs> well, it, the cost of these things is kind of astounding. But we asked the city, I asked the city, what, what's the delay? And they said, it's hard to find the paint. The paint that they, if you think about it, like road paint, it really only comes in kind of two colors, yellow and white, right? So to go in and find the paint of, get the, the dyes for all it, like, again, this is where you know, like your idealism comes into the logistics of reality. Is that great? Yeah, that's a great project. We want to do it, but how? Right? Like, and this stuff does cost money. Nobody. I went. I thought it was interesting was the fact that the 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 opposite the the dissenting votes, I think, do have a legitimate case, and they were showing responsibility to the taxpayer to say we had an alternative method to to show our solidarity in a more fiscally responsible manner that i'm not going to speak for the lgbtq plus community but i think they would they would understand that yeah i mean we we shouldn't go into debt for this and 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 nobody was flat out saying no we should never do this at all and i suspect that this was the the final instance in a chat, we're seeing the end of a chain here that hasn't necessarily, isn't necessarily discussed in the newspapers, that there have been prior incidences of maybe the mayor making, the mayor and her supporters, let's just say, you know, she has mm-hmm. to do this with the votes of council. So, but the mayor with her particular supporters voting for financial spending that perhaps made some of the other councillors more easy. Certainly Paul Sharman is in the, in the, in the kind of conservative spending end of the world, you know, uh, I don't think that's uh, any secret to anybody. Uh, so I think this came and it was like, Hey, hang on a minute. You know, we've been kind of bounced into this uh, and do we really need to desert, dip into reserve funds for this? You know, is it, you know, can we achieve the same, exactly the same ends, take a, 
an extra year or two and do the same thing. And that's also the next step in this whole saga is that Joan Little, who is um, a columnist for The Spectator, who run, who writes basically the Burlington Beat in the spec, um, has done for many, many years, reported exactly these facts, which are there's clearly a divide because you know, when the mayor says one thing and the councillors respond the same day with a very fairly strongly worded rebuke, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It said, uh, basically said that the mayor should, you know, it'd be nice if the mayor was doing something more than just performative actions. That's that's kind of fighting talk right there. Um, so all Joan Little did was report those facts. A week later, we have a quite pretty long op-ed from the mayor herself so the, the 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 headline on on the piece in the Spectator from Mayor Mead Ward was inaccurate column did a disservice to Burlington councillors, uh, and it starts off kind of saying well you know f- uh, you know we, we don't expect unanimity in our in our council decisions and a, and a four three vote is completely normal, true quite true, and and, and you know so it's trying to Im- imply that there was no great discussion here, but then immediately goes on to kind of throw those same councillors under the bus again and say that their letter was full of inaccuracies. So, so I recognize these errors came from a statement on social media by several council members. She doesn't mention her own comment on social media, which caused this in the first place. So again, she's only telling one side of the story here. There's two sides, whichever view you take of it, she's only putting one side, but she's now put herself into the into the story and made it much more well, much more meaty from the point of view of people wanting to cover the lo- local news, and 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 it, it's it's it's, it's um, funnily enough, it's exactly the kind of thing that Marianne Mead Ward w- was was criticising the previous mayor and council for in 2018, of of you know people saying something in an in an article and, and getting a, like a, a mountain of of people from city hall piling onto them saying you're not allowed to say that because it's inaccurate or it's terrible or it's wrong. Well, now she's doing exactly the same thing. Uh, so it, it's really, um, but it, it's, it's a strange error of judgment in my in my view. What, to, to what, struck, what struck me about the whole this whole story is that it, it comes down to the mayor's actions. That <clears throat> okay, the the council the vote was was passed. The 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 councils were they're going ahead and, and funding it a certain way to phrase to instead of saying Burlington Council voted to install these pride sidewalks across the city. She made a point, she turned it into a point of, I'm going to single out certain counselors on council for not siding with me. Now she didn't name them by name, but she kind of named them through a, a, a mission that yeah. it's like, these are, these are my people. Like if you want to support, if you want to know who's on the side of LGBTQ plus community in Burlington, it's these people plus me. And yeah, I mean, I, I would be ticked off too if, like, you want to have. She turned it, she turned the discussion away from a discussion about fiscal responsibility and how do we budget for this, which is not sexy and it's not glamorous and it's not, uh, you know, if anything, it's actually kind of the responsible thing of what government should be doing. She turned it. She wanted to turn it into instead of this rallying cry of you know uh, we're pro LGBTQ plus. I'll give her the credit. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt and say maybe that wasn't her intention. It was a careless slip. But the thing is, you know, you, that you could have fixed that in so many ways by just, you know, just just going to this, the three other counselors and saying, yeah, you know what, we're, we're, we 
that wasn't my intention. I'm sorry. And doing it publicly instead, it's this whole, I, 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 I don't want to, you know, people are kind of calling me on it and I don't, I don't want to own up to my own mistake. So it's making it worse. Yeah. And it wasn't a mistake because she's, she's now doubled and tripled down. And the thing is she, she tries to have it both ways because in the article, in the spec, she starts off saying there was an inaccurate letter posted on social media. Doesn't mention her own post on social media, inaccurate letter from these three counselors. Then she goes on later in the article to say, um, I'm immensely proud of the careful thought and compassion that they, that's the councillors, bring to each discussion. You know, we have votes in all kinds of directions. Well, yeah, that would be absolutely accurate and absolutely a fine description by a mayor of their council if you hadn't had the, the paragraph, three paragraphs earlier, that threw them under the bus again. You know? <laughs> and, and, I mean, you know, for people who've been involved in politics in Burlington for a while, this, you know, I have to say, it's no great secret that this has been the reputation that the mayor has has brought. That she is a tough cookie. I mean, these can all be admirable things in, in a politician. A tough cookie. She's she doesn't mess around. She doesn't take any prisoners. But it, you know, the the she she loses friends at a hell of a rate. Is all all I can say is that I've seen over the year. You know, the people who have supported her like you wouldn't believe at earlier points in her career and now upset with her for various reasons. And it's, it's, it's a characteristic that I don't think there's any danger that Marianne Mead Ward won't be mayor come 2023. I just can't imagine any situation in which someone comes out of the woodwork who runs against her and wins. However, in the longer term, these are the, we're starting to see Marianne Mead Ward's kind of, warts and all if you like you know i mean i think she was she's incredibly popular in burlington i mean she's really a phenomenon in the city in terms of a a mayor and burlington has not seen her like before um and, and that's just an absolute fact whether you like marianne whether you don't whatever you think but the, um, the trick is though roland you and i have seen politics at all levels and when behavior like this becomes the norm you start racking up enemies a lot quicker than you do friends. And it, it's sad that this has kind of come out in, in, the, in the public this way. I mean, it, you know, the kind of you keep your dirty laundry hidden behind closed doors so that it doesn't, it doesn't get aired this way. But I was just surprised, like, why would you throw these three counselors under the bus this way and, and, the and, irony, and, and spark that division? When, yeah. You know, a, a simple, a simple, you know, Hey, you know what? Council voted in favor of this. Great. Let's move. And, and I mean, the, the, the huge irony, again, for people familiar uh, with, with the last election, um, which, again, you know, full disclosure I was involved in as well. Now, Paul Sharman's never been any great fan of Marianne's. He's from the previous council. He's the, he's the last remaining outpost of the old guard. So, you know, the fact that he's on at loggerheads with Marianne, no great surprise. The other two uh, are Lisa Kearns, who uh, was certainly – the perception was when she was elected that she was very much – in, for many people's perspective, I'm trying to put this in a way which doesn't sound like sour grapes from me, but many people felt that she was Marianne's choice. Whether Mar Actually, and I have to say here that Marianne never, ever said that and was very, very fair when multiple people were kind of running uh, against each other in the same ward, both of whom she knew. So put that right out there. She never, she was extremely fair on that whole thing. 
Um, however, the perception was that Lisa Kearns was very close to Marianne, was a sort of Marianne ally, and that they were going to be a team together. So the fact to find Lisa kind of on the, you know, as part of the awkward squad, if you like, uh, is a surprise. And to an extent, you could probably put um, Shauna Stolte in, in the same bracket as a, like, unexpected. Right. You might have expected that. Kelvin Galbraith from Ward One or uh, uh, Angela Bentavenia from from Ward Six would uh, perhaps be more likely to team up with with Paul Sharman as a kind of conservative, less anti-development kind of wing. Um, so it's unusual. To, you know, the four that lined up with Marianne and the three that haven't are not who I would have predicted. That's for sure. So it's you know it's interesting, but I mean this is a story that Marianne could have killed on day one with one line and i mean a she won the vote she didn't need to say anything she won the vote show a bit of grace and and move on mm. uh, you know you don't need to say thank you thank you to the councillors who helped me get this vote passed end of story everybody's happy you're not embarrassing anybody uh but she didn't they responded that's fine she made no response to their comment initially until until it got into the spectator we see people read the spectator whereas they don't read councillors letters in great quantities so at this point she's 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 concerned because now people are actually seeing this story uh, in in something that has a serious readership I, and i think it's the first time that she's really made a bad media call i would say and that oh, doing, we would not have covered the story if, if she hadn't responded and now, well we we've we've kind of followed it ourselves we said should we should we not i don't want to do it yeah. the he said she said kind of or she said she said uh you know back better back and forth but the fact that it got into the spec and you know i i, I just thought it was a bad look like it's a bad it's a bad strategy on her part to do it that that way i thought and what Joan Little reported is just is a matter of record, you know. I and mean, there's there's no great conspiracy here; it's out there. Um, so yeah, it, it's for for someone who has always been a very canny user of the media. It, it's I'm surprised she made the decision, uh, and it, it's not a good one. It, it, it's that classic thing that politicians do of getting defensive when people call them on stuff and it, it never works well for them. <laughs> so what else we got? So the, the prime minister was in Hamilton today. And in fact, we've had a couple of party leaders visiting in the last few days. And uh, it's uh, almost as if there's talk of an election in the air. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, now, Joel, you're on the record. There's going to be no election in this year. I, 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 I'm sticking by that. Uh, I am. I am going to stick by that. And here's my, my rationale. I, you and I have said it before, and I think I'll stand by this. Whoever pulls the trigger on the, a federal election is toast. The, it, uh, my bet is the, the, fe the federal liberals are looking at themselves and thinking of David Peterson in Ontario calling the election with my minority because, oh, I'm, I'm riding high in the polls now. I'm going to get me a, get me my, my, my majority government. And I think they're, they're going to say, no, we're, we're, we're not going to do it. But, but they are pulling a, a page out of Stephen Harper's playbook by goading the opposition into pulling the trigger. So uh, now that I led the, the groundwork. So what happened was today, today is uh, Tuesday, July 20th. Uh, today, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, was in Hamilton to 
A, visit uh, the Hamilton Mountain Mosque to talk uh, about confronting Islamophobia in the country, as well as to address the attack that happened uh, earlier uh, in, in Ancaster, I believe. As well, and this is where you get into the uh, election rumors, is uh, he, he announced affording, uh, funding for affordable housing in the tune of 95 energy-efficient rental homes in Hamilton, which would be on... Uh, let's just see here. So it's, it's converting the Royal Oak Dairy Project uh, at Barton and Victoria Avenue into these energy efficient, affordable housing units that would be part of their, their promise to provide affordable housing across the country. Of course, the NDP came out with their, you know, their, their election style counter message uh, to that, which sparked this whole rumor of, oh, we're going to an election in the fall. The feds are going to, Justin Trudeau is going to trigger an election in the fall. I don't think so. I, th I think he's goading the opposition to do that because he's going to say, I can keep doing this. I have got, I will go to Hamilton and, and make my announcement on affordable housing. I'm going to go to BC and make an announcement that we are finally, they are finally going to be funding childcare to the tune of 10, 10 bucks a day or something like that. And then believe the Nova Scotia, PEI, and uh, a number of other provinces are jumping on board with a similar agreement. So like th there's all this stuff that's coming out that is being toted as, oh, it's election fever. I think he's just doing it because he's like, I can. Yeah, you want you want to stop it? Go ahead, trigger the election. And like the conservatives are, COVID is more popular than the conservatives right now in the country. The NDP have had zero traction with Jagmeet Singh in the polls since well the last election. They're I think they're pretty much right where they were the last time. And my understanding is they still have a pretty hefty debt that they're still paying off. And the Green Party, well, geez, the the Green Party cannot you know eat their own leader fast enough. To, to save their life. So I, I'm looking at it's like, who, who's itching to go to the election, to go to an election right now? Like I got to me, if I was just in Trudeau, I'd be like, why, why would I have an election? I can just do what I want to do. And who's going to stop me? Yeah. yeah it, it seems I, I'm not quite as confident as you, but I'm, I'm, I'm following the logic. Absolutely. There's like, well, if they want to call an election, fine, we'll go for it. Um, because we're probably in the best position. I saw him recover in the last election, which was the most poisonous, vile, nasty, right. pointless election in, in the history of the world. Yeah, Mike Moffat was commenting on Twitter today that, you know, no one, people are talking as if it's a slam dunk for the liberals and that just, there's no such thing in Canada. I mean, right. I've learned that. I remember when I came here from Britain and there was a electoral specialist back in Britain is like, you know, if a party has a 3% lead or three point lead going into an election in Britain, they've got it sewn up. You're never going to get a swing more than 3%. Why over here? You get massive swings all the time. I mean, there's, there's really not much party loyalty. You go out shopping and you think, oh, I don't know, you know, and you don't even think about who you're going to vote for until the writ drops. So there is huge risks associated with going early and being the one, and above all, being the one to make it make the election happen. I mean, yeah, you've, you've mentioned people who've paid for that. I mean, since I've been in Canada, um, Mark Ignatieff is the one who stands out for me, who kind of pushed on an election that no one really wanted, didn't really seem like a great, particularly great time to do it. You know, started yep. off with a disastrous speech and everything went from bad to worse from there. Well, I, I look at, I think the cons like the conservatives are not going to 
push for one. They'll they'll but they'll bluff and blow, but they're not going to push one for the simple fact that they were counting on a screwed up vaccine rollout. They're they're yeah, counting yeah. they're counting like if you remember you had Michelle Rempel and Aaron O'Toole coming out and saying to uh, whoever would listen, and a lot of mainstream media picked up on this th- thread of oh. Trudeau screwed up the the orders. You know, Trudeau screwed up the orders. We're going to be so we're not going to have any vaccines in this country, and we're going to be completely behind all the countries. We're, we're never going to going to get vaccinated. We're all, we're going to be dead last, and we're going to be locked down forever because Trudeau screwed up the the order sheet or whatever. And then flash forward to today, we've surpassed the Americans in vaccinations. We have boatloads of vaccines on the shelf. We're giving it away to the third world because we're at risk of it going bad, which is good. But we are like the, the vaccine rollout isn't the disaster that they were counting on it to be. And I think that they are, I'm sitting there going like, what is, what is your criticism of Trudeau now? And I'm not saying that there isn't one, but let's face it in an election. What is the, like, what, what's your message to the people? You know, oh, we, you know, they, they, COVID should have been done better. Like how? Legitimately, legitimately, what could have been done better? Lots of money came out and you say, oh, we're in debt now. Yeah, okay, we're in debt, but every other country's in debt now. Well, and I don't see anybody winning an election going out there and saying, hey, remember that SERP payment you got? You should right. have got that. Right, you know, right. I don't see that winning. Or, yeah. or to go to, go to, go to st- stand in a restaurant uh, with your backdrop behind you and say, yeah, you know what? That wage subsidy that we gave you to keep your your place open, yeah, no, that that was a bad idea. We should, you know, we should not have done that. So, I mean, it, it's the only real debate, which is not a, an election winning or losing debate, is it, not that we should have spent a crap ton of money, but how big of a crap ton? And yeah, it's a big crap ton of money that we spent. Um, no two ways about that. But I mean, this is, you know, we spent a crap ton of money in the Second World War. We spent a crap ton of money. Uh, various other crises during uh, history you know sometimes that's the way it goes we're still here we're still alive the economy is still working we survived you know i mean like the the uh, the other the other note i I just thought of this and i'm going to bring it up that it kind of ticked me off is the fact that this is again the the note that the the public the, the mainstream media doesn't quite get the 905 region anymore is that the prime minister comes to hamilton in the 905 must mean we're going for election because he's the only reason the only reason at all that the prime minister would want to come to hamilton would be to hand over money to buy some votes in the city because god knows there's no reason why a prime minister would ever want to visit hamilton and i said to my wife maybe he's just bored of ottawa maybe he's just like <laughs> i've been here I've been cooped up because of this pandemic in Ottawa for two years. I want to get out of here and stop staring at the same reporters' faces for every day. I want to see other Canadians out there. And yeah, he chose Hamilton. Why? Oh, I don't know. Because it's a it's one of our one of Canada's largest cities. It's got a vibrant economy, and he's and you know what? Maybe he's just like I want to go visit Hamilton. Well, and you've got your former sort of star environment minister who's recently announced she's she's not running again who's from hamilton who's making who says they're not interested in running or anything but is making some quite interesting noises about how much she loves hamilton there's the investment in the lrt obviously as well i mean i think 
I think that political parties as a whole are starting to show more faith in Hamilton, maybe not in the council. Um, but I, I think I feel that Hamilton is reaching a turning point if it hasn't already reached it. And we're, we're dealing with the hangover from the bad old days. When we look at the council that's just seemingly hell bent on just being stupid. <laughs> this is why we can't get councillors to come on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, we haven't really tried that hard, but um, they're all welcome anytime. So, so there's that. And, and I'm sure there is a little bit of electioneering. I mean, there's a little bit of electioneering in anything any politician oh, does totally. ever. Every totally. day, everything they do, they're thinking about votes. So just deal with that. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, absolutely it is. But, but you know, does it mean... I mean, this is the cycle where... This is the part of the electoral cycle anyway where the parties turn from the bad news stuff you get done in your first two years to the good news stuff that you roll out in the second two years. That's the way they do it. Um, so it's not unheard of that they'd be doing these announcements anyway. I mean, when the LRT announcement came, what, three months ago now? Yep. No one connected that to an election. Well, it could have been. You know, uh, you know so it, it's... It's kind of wishful thinking, I think, on the part of the uh, of the media who get much well, more excited it, about this stuff than I do. I have to say, it goes into the kind of what we've been saying since you know episode one. Which, if listeners want to listen, by all means, start from the beginning, work your way down. Um, but then, you know, the the mainstream media knows nothing about this region outside of an election cycle. You know, they 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 say, oh, if a important announcement comes into the region, it must be because an election is coming. Well, no, maybe because we're a vital part of the, of the, of the Canadian country, the, the Canadian psyche. And also like Hamilton, Hamilton has need of major social housing. If you want to talk about a way to kind of inject money into the, into it to really combat the homeless shortage or the, the housing shortage, this is a great way to do it. Honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. 95 units uh how many people you know to can afford homes now that's great news and you know that's we kind of need more of that to to be happening in this province across the uh uh, across all all the all the area codes yeah i mean the, the fact that this government has when i say got serious got far more serious than any other government in recent history about affordable housing subsidized housing you know, housing projects in whatever form that um, are aimed at affordability and more than affordability, you know, that that's a big deal. And, and I think they deserve some credit for that. I mean, the other thing I'll say with regard to the whole electioneering thing is, you know, if, if Justin Trudeau wants to get votes, he shouldn't be coming to Hamilton because, you know, the, you're in a fight with the NDP where you're not going to pick up much. The places he wants to be going is Brampton, Mississauga, North York, uh, Markham, you know, th- that's where you can take a bunch of conservative seats and turn them liberal. Uh, but I mean, that's the usual thing. The 905 is this kind of voter fodder thing, right? Isn't it? I mean, that's how the media sees us. It's like, oh, what? Well, yeah, you only go to 905 because you want votes. The rest of the time, it's who cares? And, and I mean, we keep on talking about the fact that we're certainly provincially, the provincial parties, none of the provincial parties talk about the issues that 905 people talk about every day, which is development, transportation. I mean, they do talk about transportation. That's a little bit unfair, but but there are huge issues with development, municipal planning that no party is is 
even pretending to pay any attention to. And I don't get that when every person who lives here is thinking is you know is one way or the other kind of obsessed with that subject. You know, I, I, I that's kind of why I I'm going to position myself as I'm the one ahead of the curve to say that I don't think there'll be an election. I just I don't see. I don't see it because you're right. I mean, nothing about this strikes me as a, a plea for votes uh, to get, you know, oh, we're going to provide social housing funding uh, in the and city. You know, and you know what? If they were to call an election, um, you know, it's my great habit of giving advice to politicians with successful careers, coming from my position as someone who <laughs> is a complete failure, basically. <laughs> However, my advice to the prime minister is, if you call an election, you better have a better bloody performance up your sleeve than you did last time, mate. Oh, for crying. Yeah. And and not just with the with the offensive photographs from, from when you were a child of 30 plus uh, yep. Jesse Gump in black, blackface, but the just general tone that was appalling from the conservatives, but it was appalling from the liberals too. And the NDP were no better. Um, it was a shocking election and I've seen some real turkeys in my time. <laughs> well, no, if, if they're right, if there's an election, this, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. The, the last thing I want to see any gloating or, or whatnot, if there are more skeletons in Justin Trudeau's closet, which there very well could be, I do not know. Will it be enough for for him to be defeated? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think. So. I, I don't think so because I think Aaron O'Toole is just not that. He hasn't done a good enough job to make people like him. My understanding is he's polling even more. Real, the the conservatives are polling so badly that they're they at risk losing more seats than uh, when Andrew Shear uh, left them. So I mean, let's let's face it. Andrew Shear should never have got as close to no, no, being no, prime minister no. as he did. I mean, that was that was a disgrace um, that he got that close. I mean, the man was completely unqualified. No. It was a testament to how bad, how badly the Liberals performed that, that he got that. It was the nine hundred five that saved their skin. Remember, I mean, uh, that was a truly awful election. And I've never been as someone who's been involved. I was involved in that election in a minor way. In a, in canvassing and you know helping out a party which was in that that particular point in time the liberals i've never been so disappointed in all the parties uh, and reached sort of election day and felt uh, at a national level you know kind of a curse on all their houses yeah so, absolutely seriously this this is what you're going to give to us and quite it? frankly if that's what if that's what the conservatives or the ndp are are have up their their sleeves for an election to trigger an election think that's what we're going to we're going to debate on the country is not ready for that post COVID. You know, we, the the country is the country is just not wanting it at all. I, I don't want it. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to be covering an election. What I want, what people want, is to have hope in the fall that you know what at, at Thanksgiving, I'm gonna I'm gonna see my family around the table, and we're not gonna be looking at each other cross eyed or or the side of our peripheral vision when one of us coughs or sneezes. You know, yep. that's what Canadians want for uh, this fall. And then, you know, to look at Christmas, say, you know, I can't wait to see my family that I haven't seen in two years, friends that I haven't seen in two years. That's what I want. I don't give a crap about Aaron O'Toole or Pierre Poilievre or, or whoever trying to make a point about something that, you know, just to make a point, you know, right now. I just, want, I just want to get past COVID and I want to live my life a little bit more freer than I have in the last two years because, God damn it, I have fucking earned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll second that. 
Uh, yeah, no one wants to be talking about these. Certainly nobody wants a lame election talking about nonsense, just toxic, vile stuff yeah. like we did last time. Uh, and you know, that's down to all of them. You know, it's easy to blame someone like Andrew Shear, who, who goodness knows did not help. Uh, but, you're, but you're right. It was a pox in all their houses. And I'm going to leave off my, my comments by just saying, um, if any federal politician leader is listening to us by some dumb blind chance, do not pull <laughs> an election. You will be eviscerated at the polls. I, I myself will probably just curse your name a hundred times over and I've got a podcast to do it. Don't pull an election. Nobody wants it. Let, let us, let us live our, uh, our lives COVID free for a little while. Then you, then you can have your pissing match. Nobody wants it. Agreed. I think we should leave it there. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode of the 905er. Bye for now. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.